so much. You know, we would just we would struggle just to read through the Bible in a year because everybody's not reading on the same level. And then we would just stop and say, hey, God, would you let us experience your anointing as we read your word today? Would you let us experience your prophetic nature as we read your word today? And that's my prayer every time now. This year, my prayer is that we will receive his anointing and his prophetic call in our life every time we open up the Bible. You know, we may not have a lot of time. We may not, stuff may happen in our life. But when we open up that word, there's something prophetic about to happen in our life. And I believe that's what the word of God does. How many of y'all want to come in agreement with me today? Bishop's been preaching a powerful message about position and purpose. And I. Uh, if y'all know, I always ask Bishop, I say, what is your vision for the pulpit? You know, because I just don't want to preach anything. You know, because I can preach anything. <laughs> you know, but I want to preach what the leader of the house wants to be preached. And that's, and, and as a minister of the gospel, that's how we should move in our lives. We should want to be in alignment to what the house is in alignment with. And Bishop said, I want you to, I want you to preach on purpose, Pastor Carl. Preach on purpose. And this message is called Broken for Purpose. We're going to be going in our text, but I have a, a little story for you first. How many of us have ever experienced brokenness? And we always ask God, why am I so? Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. I remember I was financially broke all the time. And I would ask God, I said, why me? You know, we always ask that question, why me, God? Why does God keep happening to me? But see, there's a purpose for our brokenness. There's a purpose. So what are we talking about today? I'm just going to lay it out so you know where we're going, so you don't get lost. In 2 Corinthians 4, I'm going to be talking about how we are clay pots. We are earthen vessels. We are easily broken. Whether we want to believe it or not, we're easily broken. But there's a treasure that Paul says that we have inside of us. That is the gospel. Okay? And that gospel is the centrality of the gospel is that we can be sustained by it in each and every trial. And that's what Broken for a Purpose is going to be. And then I'm going to go and talk about how we are earthly vessels and read a little passage of scripture. We're going to be going into the word today. But I have a story. See, there was a water bearer in India. He had two large pots, each hung on the end of the pole, which he carried across his neck. One of the pots had a crack in it. And while the other one was perfect, always delivered a full portion of water at the end of a long walk from the stream to the master's house. The crack pot arrived only half full. For a full two years this went on. It went on daily with the bear delivering only one and a half pots full of water in his master's house. Of course the perfect pot was proud of its accomplishments. Perfect to the end for which it was made but the poor crack pot was ashamed of his imperfection 
and, and its miserable state that it only accomplished only half of what the other pot was doing. After two years of what it perceived to be a bitter failure, it spoke to the water bearer one day by the street. He says, I am ashamed of myself, and I want to apologize to you. And the water bearer asked him, why? What are you ashamed of? He said, I've been able for the past two years to deliver only half my load. And because this crack in my side causes water to leak out all the way back to your master's house, because of my flaws, you have to do all this work. You don't get full value from your efforts, the pot said. How many of us have been there before? <laughs> the water barrel felt sorry for the whole crack pot. And in his compassion, he said, as we return to the master's house, I want you to notice the beautiful flowers along the path. Indeed, as they went up the hill, the old crack pot took notice of the sun, warming the beautiful wildflowers on the side of the hill. And the path was in the path, and this cheered him up some. Saw something. It's a little cheered up. But at the end of the trail, it still felt bad because it leaked out half its load. How many of us, we see something beautiful, but then we keep remembering our flaws as we walk. And so again, the pot apologized to the bear for his failure. The bear said to the pot, did you notice there were flowers only on your side of the path, but not the other pot side? That's because I've always known about your flaw. And I took advantage of it. I planted flower seeds on your side of the path. And every day while you walk back from the stream, you watered them. For two years, I've been able to pick these beautiful flowers to decorate my master's table. Without you being just the way you are, he would have not had the beauty to grace his house. Each of us have our own unique flaws. We're all crackpots. But if we will allow it, the Lord will use our flaws to grace his father's table. We're going to go to the reading of the word, 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 12. This is a powerful passage of scripture. It has so much in it. Therefore, since we have this ministry, if you're there, just say amen. As we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves in every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of God, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus. Should we shine on them, we, we will show ourselves as bondservants to Jesus' sake. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts 
to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life of Jesus also be manifested in our body. For we who live is always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. That the life of Jesus also run, be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in, but life in you. Praise God. God, we thank you for the reading of your word, and we ask that your anointing will pour forth. The key verse will be 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Since we have a treasure in these earthen vessels. What he said, he said, since we have a ministry, that means three ways. The ministry of the Holy Spirit to act on the hearts of the people. The ministry of justification. That means when we come to Christ, we're justified. We're able to be purified. We're able to be redeemed. We're part of the plan of redemption. It's a ministry that's happening for us. And a ministry that is pure and unclouded because it's God's work. It has no, no flaws in it. You know, because God's doing the work, it's pure and it's unclouded. It's something that is so amazing that only God can do it. And that's the kind of work that's happening. That's the ministry that we were part of. How many of us are glad we're part of that type of ministry? <laughs> See, we trace every point of our ministry to the grace of God. If you could just take a moment and think of every point of your ministry. See, a ministry is not what we do in this church, it's our life. See, it's, it's what God has done in our life is, is the ministry because we preach out of our experience. We don't, we don't preach out of our knowledge and intellect. We may use it, but we preach out of our experience. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit to act upon our heart became a ministry for us. See, we trace calling, success, even the office that we hold, if we hold an office, the accomplishments to the grace of God. We are not discouraged by our difficulties. We have no embarrassment of our obstacles. We're not kept from purpose by persecution. See, knowing the strength of God did not fail us. See, when we look at our ministry, we have to look at it in those scopes. When we're getting discouraged, we'll be like, oh, this difficulty only passed. I remember this moment. And then we look at how many of us would be embarrassed because of the trials we've gone through. I, I, I don't regret what God has brought me through. I'm not embarrassed of my testimony. I'm not embarrassed of the grace that he's poured on my life. And listen, just because the enemy is after me, that doesn't mean my purpose has changed. Just because Satan wants me more doesn't mean my purpose has changed. You know, because I know the strength of God is that he said he will not fail me. He will not forsake me. He will not leave me. He says what? In 1 Corinthians 10, he said, I will, there will be no temptation that you cannot handle. If you will, I will make a way. 
You know, God knows. He is pouring out his grace constantly if we look back at our life. We are driven by this, but the mercy and grace of God kept us. Listen, I love the gospel. The gospel is the most truthful and honest thing that God has ever created. If we could, lie, if we could look at anything, we could say, okay, you may be a swindler, a con man, you may be a great orator, you may have a silver tongue, but listen, there's a gospel that your words don't match. We know that it is the overarching truth for everything in our world. Even if we're looking at people, if you're a business owner and you're hiring somebody, you look at the gospel and line it up. Say, okay, this person may not be living correctly because his life doesn't line up with the gospel. See, the gospel can tell the truth about anybody and anything. That's what I love about it. See, the gospel doesn't need any tricks or artful schemes like other messages around the world. You know, it speaks for itself. And it has views of truth. And glory. See, these hidden things of dishonesty. See, there's people that preach a message that want to hold back the whole truth. See, when we walk into a courtroom, the judge says, you're going to tell the whole truth. You know, he says, put your hand on the Bible. Because that's the, that's the preeminence of the gospel. You have to tell the whole truth. You know, so once you put your hand on the Bible, the gospel becomes open and plain. And it's straightforward. It's a work of light, not of darkness. So if you're, if you're in a ministry and you want to keep things hidden, that's not the gospel. You want everything to come to light. God's going to bring it to light. God's going to make sure the light gets shown on it. If it has anything to do with the gospel, it will be shown to light. See, we handle the gospel in its purest form. That's why I love this word. It doesn't change on us. It's pure. It's not letting it be used. We can't let it, it can't be used to manipulate or confuse people. The word can be used to do one thing, set them free. <laughs> you know, the gospel, when I read this commentary, it floored me. The gospel is a system of man's conscience. When we look into the gospel, our, the man's mind has to change. When we're exposed to the gospel, we have to handle it differently. Well, things have to change in a greater way. Because you know why? Because it becomes so reasonable to our mindset. It becomes so established because it was fulfilled by miracles. It, it becomes so great because it's prophecy and it's pure in nature. Hey, it's so well adapted that man has no reason but to accept it. Man has to fight. Not just men and women. People have to fight against the gospel. How many of us ever brought an unbeliever to church? And you see them squirm a little bit. When, it, when you know it's about to be the altar call, you feel, you feel the Holy Spirit moving, and you see them squirming a little bit, like they got to go to the bathroom, or they got to leave, and you ask them, are they all right, brother? I'm okay. I'm all right. Because they're receiving something that has the purest form. See, there's been some things that make you move. Man's consciousness has to, has to come to an uh, agreement with the gospel. See, we can't, we can't think our consciousness doesn't believe in it. We don't doubt it. It's reasonable. Why wouldn't Jesus come? Why wouldn't God give us a way out? Why wouldn't God give us a plan of redemption? 
Why wouldn't he make a way for us? If he's such a good God, why wouldn't there be this? But then there's those questions. Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to? When it starts becoming off of why wouldn't God, and it becomes why do I? See, our own selfishness keeps us from it. See, the gospel was well suited for the condition of people. Listen, I'm in a group of emerging leaders that are around the nation. And somebody asked me, he says, Carl, how do we keep the message relevant? I said, the message is always relevant. We don't have to keep it. It's always relevant. It's relevant to every generation, to every culture, to every tongue, to every nation, to every community, to every neighborhood. The gospel is always relevant. I don't have to add anything to it. I don't have to make it look different. I can just sit up here and preach the gospel, and the gospel will do its work because it's pure and undefiled. You know, that's how powerful the gospel is. We take a hold. How powerful this message of Jesus Christ is. It doesn't matter who's preaching it. It's the anointing that's upon it. See, it's such a powerful thing. See, the gospel is so great, it's happy to influence society. See, it doesn't get mad that people get influenced by the power of the gospel. It doesn't get mad that people want to help widows and help the poor and help the needy. It doesn't get mad that people want to feed thousands and go overseas and build water wells. The gospel, doesn't, the gospel is happy to influence society. It's so glorious when it does that. But many people miss the beauty. Do they miss the beauty of the gospel? And then they see it as foolishness. There are countless people from time's beginning who have missed the beauty of the gospel and perished or called this beautiful message what? Ignorant. When I was, when I was coming up with this, I thought of the people in Noah's time. Noah told them the message. He told them the pure, unadulterated truth. He said, God is going to show up here with a flood. Come with me. No, he's not. There has been rain on this soil since we've been born. What are you talking about? They saw him as ignorant, as a fool. And this is what happens when people, when we tell people about the greatness of God, they say, man, that, that's good for you, but it's not going to work for me. And see, we see the ignorance of people. We see them perish. We get so, the God is not happy with people perishing. It says it in 2 Peter. He says he wishes that all would come to the knowledge of God. But he wishes none shall perish. That none shall perish. That's been my, that's, that's been my main focus. God doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anybody to die and go to hell. Listen, we're eternal beings. If we don't come to Christ, you know where you're going. And you know there's no other way out of it. It's truth. The gospel tells you the truth. It tells you this. Satan opposes the gospel in every way. Listen, he is combating against the gospel. Don't think he's not. Because he does this in four ways. He influences minds. He influences minds. 
He perpetuates false philosophies. Listen, I, I get so fed up, I'm sorry, with false doctrine. I get so fed up with half-truths of the gospel. I get so fed up with that stuff. I get so fed up of watching and watching people look at Jesus and say he was this, this white savior. But no, Jesus didn't come to be some political color savior. He came with the gospel. The message has no color. The message has no revelation. It, it says it in Revelation 7-9 that when we are in heaven, every tribe, every tongue will be clothed in white robes. The pureness of God. It, it, it just... False doctrine just, just makes me madder than anything else. A righteous indignation. Look, I came from a Muslim background. That's why it probably makes me bad. Because I can see the fakeness in their truth. I can see the holes in their doctrine. I can see their selfishness in their words. And so when I see it, I see it perpetuates. But see, they don't choose to work on the condition of the heart of the man. They choose to work on the condition of the Savior. If you heard anybody speak who's Muslim, they don't talk about changing your heart. They talk about changing your God. They talk about your God. You know, he moves in systems of superstition and idolatry. The enemy wants you to idolize these things. He wants you to have so many things that idolize them, like the young rich ruler. Waiting on something just to happen. Uh, when I preached at another church, this pastor preached margin. He says, this young generation wants everything we have now. They don't want to work for it. They idolize their father's accomplishments and think they have the right to take it. And see, that's idolatry. When I teach the young adults, I teach them what idolatry is, putting anything before God. Anything in your mind, your heart, and your spirit before God, even if it's a relationship or a person. It's idolatry. He moves in those systems. He loves when people build up false statues. He loves it. And this is what he does. He blinds people to the beauty and truth and the honesty of the love of God. God really doesn't love you. You know, how many of us heard the enemy say that? They really don't want to hear from you. Your voice is not important. You don't have a purpose. You don't have a calling. You haven't really done anything with your life. See, he tries to blind you to the beauty of the gospel. But let me tell you this. The gospel is invaluable. It is so unmeasured in worth. Listen, let me tell you how we know this. How many times have we heard they got to take this Bible off the best seller's rack? Because it sells more books than any other book ever published in the world. They cannot keep up with the sales of the Bible because it has unmeasured worth. Listen, when you go to the store to buy a family Bible, they don't cost 40, 50 bucks. They cost 200, 500, $700. A family Bible has much worth. So when you look at this gospel, you know, oh my goodness. A rich man can't buy it, and a poor man can't sell it. <laughs> you know, the treasure gives us such great access to the greatness of God that we make it through anything. 
See, the gospel treasure is an atoning sacrifice that sustains us in all trials. How many of us have been through a trial? How many of us have ever been broken? See, I have a, I have a story of brokenness. And I asked my wife before I could tell this story. When, when Melanie was, was pregnant with our son Keegan, there were many complications that broke her. The first complication is when she got her second ultrasound. They said, we can't find his nasal bone. So you have to get an amnio or you can get a panorama. But if you, if you, you got to get a blood test. And, and then those things are inclusive, but an amnio is saying that our son was going to be born with Down syndrome. So they couldn't find it. And then, you know, we were worried. We were like, man, what happens? And then, and then I just stopped. And I said, if God has prepared us for this, he will grace us to raise this child. And we just came into that peace. That was one part of the pregnancy. Then all of a sudden, Melanie got high blood pressure. She was doing great. Blood pressure was great. And then she got this, this high blood pressure, hypertension, just started rising and rising. We had a great trip and with her family and everything, and then we come back. And then there's this thing called preeclampsia. Preeclampsia is when your blood pressure gets so high, it pushes on the blood vessels and wants to separate the placenta. So the only way to cure is to bring the baby. The only way you're going to be cured from this, from this disease is that you have delivery. So we didn't know what was going on. So she had abdomen pain. We were like, man, what is this? It's not cramping. And the doctor said, as soon as that happens, go to the hospital. They didn't tell us anything. They just said, just go. We're the Google generation. We want to know what this means. <laughs> so all of a sudden, we go. We just go to the hospital. And our son is born, 3.15 in the morning that day, five weeks early. We're like, man, is he healthy? Is everything all right? So they have him in NICU. They have him in nursery intensive care. And Keegan is doing amazing. People in the church is come and pray. You guys are praying for him. Y'all don't know what's really going on. Y'all don't know the season of brokenness that, is, that has been happening. And all of a sudden, Keegan's like, he's off, the, he's off the breathing machine. He's off the tube out of his stomach. He, and then all of a sudden, they're like, yeah, he can come home the next day. Then something happens. Then they say, uh, we're going to keep him for a little bit longer. Then me and Melly are in this moment. We had our hopes up. We were thinking about dreaming. We were dreaming about bringing him home. We were excited about having our son in this world. We just wanted to hold him and take care of him. Then they tell us we can't. The brokenness that you feel. See, I understand when parents are in the hospital and they're broken and they'll do anything. The brokenness that you feel, me and Melanie just prayed in that moment. We both wept in the middle of this prayer and said, God, would you pour your grace down on us? Would you show us why we're broken for this moment? And brokenness means that we realize that we have no control over this any longer. And this child, everything that we want to control, we can't control whether he does better or not. We can't control whether he comes home or not. We can't control what happens in his body right now. We had to tap into the grace of God and say, God, we know 
that you did not bring Keegan here to take him away from us. We know that your power is imminent in his body. We know the gospel is already present because you knit him in his mother's womb. So we know, God, but we just ask you, would you pour out your grace so you could sustain us in this season? And that sometimes, that brokenness, it wasn't over. We still felt this thing in us. But we knew the gospel sustained us. See, the treasure opens up places of affirmation and confidence. We have a treasure that has what, he, what Paul said, the excellency of power, surpassing power. When we're going through this trial, people don't know how you're making it because of the treasure that is laid up in you. See, God showed his power through his treasure in the gospel by what? Healing the sick. Raising the dead, casting out devils, power to bear persecution and trial, power to carry this gospel everywhere, power converting hearts and humbling minds, and leading guilty to the hope of God. See, we're all earthen vessels. See, the apostles were, the minister were, the labels were, the servants were, all earthen vessels. They were all weak and feeble and having bodies decaying and dying. Listen, if you think your body is going to stay the same for the rest of your life, then you got a rude awakening. If you already don't know that your body is fragile and liable to accidents, somebody need to tell you something. See, even our body, let me tell you something, is unworthy to hold such a treasure. Listen, I look at pirates. And you know, who's ever seen Indiana Jones and, uh, and uh, Hunt for the Holy Grail? And, they, and, they, and the Nazis are looking for the, the cup that's so beautiful and adorned. And they think if you pour water in here, you get everlasting life. But the Indiana Jones said, no, the cup didn't look like that. I'm an archaeologist. The cup wasn't so gracious that Christ drank out of. And then he picks up this cup that looks like clay. That's dirty. It's got spider webs all over it. He pours in that, and it has everlasting life in it. See, God is not worried about this outside appearance that we have that's adorned. He doesn't care about that. I'm going to read a, a, a translation of scripture that says that. We are hollow vessels that hold a priceless commodity. You yourself in your body, each and every one of us has a power of excellently surpassing power of the gospel. You think your brokenness has stopped you from your purpose, but it hasn't. Your brokenness has set up your purpose. So right now that you can tell somebody, listen, I don't care what you're going through, but listen to this testimony of how I trace the grace of God throughout my life. Listen, I don't care how old you are, how young you are, you know you can trace the grace of God throughout your life. I remember when I was walking down this street as a young man, and these, and these young guys wanted to beat me up, and I didn't know what to do, so I just started to pray to God, and I know his grace. Oh, somebody pulled out a gun, and I thought I was going to die, but the next person died two days later, the grace of God. I was driving down the road, and my car flipped three times, and I don't know what happened, but the grace of God. See, we start to trace these things. 
See, God pushes us and sustains us with the gospel. So Paul wasn't, wasn't scared about what was going to happen to him because he had such a, a clearing message. Even when he went to Rome, the, the dignitaries looked over and said, man, he didn't have to even come here. He went through this shipwreck just to share this message with us? With you, King Agrippa? This is crazy. He could have been let go a long time ago. But the gospel sustained him through every trial, through every persecution. And that's what happens. See, our bodies have this powerful value. They can hold the gospel. When we start looking at our body, and we start looking at who we are, and we start looking at our purpose, we look at our inside and we say, man, I don't know what's in here. See, the gospel's bigger than your dreams, your aspirations, your talents, and your gifts. See, without the gospel, they're just things. But when you apply your dreams and your aspirations and your talents, your gifts to the gospel, there becomes a purpose that is unveiling to all. You know, when people look at you, they say, there's something about you. There's something that's light. There's something that's joy. There's something that's compassion. There's something that's purpose. You know, the old Miles Monroe, the late Miles Monroe said this. He said, man, I hate cemeteries. Because you know they're people with dead purpose. And that sometimes we look at our lives and we're like, man, we have no purpose. Man, we go to church every Sunday, we have no purpose. Man, we're sitting here, Pastor Carl's preaching his purpose. But what's my purpose? Why am I here, God? Why do you have me here? The gospel. See, the gospel's the only message that I know how to preach. The gospel is the only thing I know how to do. See, I know people, some of y'all got master's degrees and y'all taught school. And some of y'all guys looking and say, hey, I said the only thing I know how to do is preach the gospel. And listen, and Paul says that when you preach the gospel, you have the excellent sea of power. Listen, I was, I was ministering in St. Louis, and I was leading a small group of young adults. They were doctorates. They had PhDs. Some of them were biologists. Some of them were, were doctors of fellowships and, and, and occupational therapists. And I've never gotten my master's. And they leaned into the gospel. Their life has changed because of those few moments that we've had together because of the gospel. See, see things happen. See, let's not put it in our intellect of mind or we're not smart enough. We're not good enough. We have a purpose today with the gospel. Today you have a purpose. Today. The message puts it so well. I love it. The message is a paraphrase of what we read is 2 Corinthians. I'm going to read 7 through 12. If you only look at us, you might well miss the brightness. We carry this precious message around in these unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. That's to prevent anyone from confusing God in comparable power with us. See, we have these bodies that are so fragile and are so easily broken because God wants to show his power. So when you're going through that trial and that circumstance and that situation, you're asking God, why haven't I pulled through yet? And you're going to know the answer so he can show his glory. 
Look at it right now and say, God's going to show me his glory. Through this right now, I know. And that's to prevent anyone from confusing. See, we said the gospel is clear and unclouded. See, you know for yourselves that you weren't much to, to know, to look at. <laughs> Trust me. I know some of us look in the mirror and say, there's not much to us. But this. We've been surrounded and battered by troubles. Listen, even myself, I look at the bags in my eyes and say, where's the time going? I wake up in the morning, we look in the mirror, and we say, where's the time going? If we, if we can't come to that realization and say we don't, look, we don't say that, then we're really not looking at our truth in ourselves. I'm just telling you right now. And then we say, but we weren't demoralized. See, we weren't knocked down because of all these troubles. You know, We're not sure what to do, but we know that God knows what to do. Listen, we've been spiritually terrorized, but God hasn't left our side. How many of us have felt that, that when you walked into, people called you a Christian or a believer, they singled you out? <laughs> I worked with a program in the city, and it seemed like they took advantage of my good nature all the time. They said, you have to do this, Pastor. You have to do this, Pastor. And I said, no, I don't. I said, you got a contract, and I got one, too. <laughs> and I said, I don't have to do that. I can, I can disagree with you right now. And so sometimes they try to terrorize your spirit. And, say, and you look in a minute, and all there's confusion going on around you. It happens on your job. They try to terrorize you spiritually. But God hasn't left your side. See, we've been thrown down, but we're not broken. What they did to Jesus, they do to us. So, so don't think your trial is not on purpose or in vain. Paul is saying what's happening in your body happened in the same body of Jesus Christ. See, when he was crucified and we was beaten, so are you. You think this life of being a Christian is not, not to have any suffering? No, we are supposed to come in an agreement of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And when we come in that, we see the glory of the gospel. We see the glory of this treasure that's laid up inside of us. And see, we go through trial and mockery and torture and murder. What Jesus did among them, he does in us. What did Jesus do among them? He raised the dead. He cast out devils. He healed the sick. He pulled people out of, out of degradation. He stopped a woman from being stoned, from being called a prostitute. He met a woman who married five people and gave her redemption. He found 12 men alongside the road and gave them purpose. He called out Andrew and Simon. He called out all the disciples and gave them a purpose. What did he say? What Jesus did among them, he's going to do among us. See, let's not forget that because we have these present sufferings in our life, that Jesus doesn't want to do anything. See, Jesus wants to do something with you. He wants something to happen for you. I don't care how old you are. I don't care where you come from. Jesus has a purpose for your life today. 
See, he does it because he lives. See, if he was like a dead God, nothing would be happening. See, if he was like the Greek gods or the Roman gods, we still be, nothing would be happening. If he was like Buddha and Allah, nothing would be happening. We would try to make things happen for ourselves. See, he lives and we're at constant risk for Jesus' sake. Which makes Jesus all the more evident in us. See, when people see you, they know something's different. Brother Jerry's not here. He's away with his family. But he told me, he said, Pastor Carl, I got a promotion on my job. I said, man, we pray for that. We pray for that. He said, they called me in the office, and they said, Jerry, there's something about you. We just don't know. And me and Jerry said, that's Jesus. See, it becomes evident. See, let me tell you something. I told this to kids, tell this to kids all the time. I said, if I got to figure out if you're saved or not, then there's a problem. If I have to figure out if you believe in Jesus or not, there's a problem. Houston, we have a problem. So I'm going to be with it. And I tell them all the time, I've delivered you the truth. Now you're responsible for it. You know, so let's not, let's not scapegoat that they don't have any responsibility when it comes to the gospel. When you teach the youth, you got to give them some responsibility, right? And they have to know that, you know what? The evidence that's in you will be shown in the world. If you can't show that evidence, then something's wrong. You know, while we're going through the worst, we're still getting in on the best. <laughs> I said, my gosh. I may be going through the worst season of brokenness in my life right now. But I'm getting on the best glory and power of God that I've ever seen. You may be going through trial right now. But don't you know you're getting in on the best that God ever had for your life. You know, you haven't seen the best yet. Because you ain't seen the worst yet. When you see your worst, you're going to see your best. See, don't think these trials are for happenstance. Or they're not a good circumstance in your life. See, all the time we get trials, we think, oh, we've done something wrong to God. We've done something wrong. No, it's God working his perfect nature out in us. In some translations of this verse, it says our body is always decaying, but Christ is growing on the inside of us. See, we need Jesus to grow more on the inside of us. How many of us want to be broken for a purpose? I don't want to just walk around broken because somebody else did something to me. I don't want to just walk around broken because my mom and dad ain't right. I don't want to just walk around broken because my family are alcoholics and drug addicts. I don't want to be just walking around broken without a purpose. Who wants to walk around broken just to be broke? Nobody wants that. See, if I'm going to be broken, give me a purpose. Lord, if you're going to break me, show me something. If, like Paul said, hey, if I'm going to go through this shipwreck, give me a vision, Lord. If I'm going to get bit by snakes that are poisonous, give me a vision, Lord. You know, sometimes we don't forget to ask God, hey, I may be broken right now, God. What's the purpose? What's the purpose of this trial right now? Who's going to get the glory? What's about to happen in my family because of this trial. Do you know that there's a purpose? Know that God has a purpose for this. Let's just commit to pray. I know we're going through trials. 
you don't even have to voice your trials. We can look at each other and know that we have trials. We can look in the mirror and know that we're having a trial today, Lord. But Lord, I, I don't want to take advantage of not knowing that there's a purpose behind my brokenness. There's a purpose behind my frustration. There's a purpose behind my, my circumstance and my situation that I'm going through. There's a purpose this kid just won't act right. There's a purpose that, that my marriage is not the way it's supposed to be. Because you want something better out of it, God. There's a purpose that these relationships that I have are being cut off. There's a purpose, God. There's a purpose. We want to see the excellency of your power in our life. God, I pray right now that those that, are, that heard this word, God, that they have a call to action to ask you, what's the purpose, God? What's the purpose for such a great trial that we go through, God? For us not to get to glory, but for you, God. God, we ask you right now in the mighty name of Jesus that you will touch our hearts, God, in the midst of this, God. You will bless us, God, and you will give us glory, give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.